0: And Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Recently, my wife and I received a beautiful card in the mail. It was an invitation to an upcoming wedding. The daughter of some dear friends is getting married in January, and we were fortunate to be included among the guests. It was a happy surprise because most of the time our mailbox is stuffed with nothing but grocery store flyers, credit card offers, and assorted junk mail. In fact, I probably throw out 90% of what we receive on a daily basis. And yet, every now and then, something different arrives. Every now and then, a lovely invitation like this one comes in the post, and we always rejoice. And that's because we all like to receive invitations, don't we? Whether it's an invitation to a wedding, to a party, to a dinner, or even to church, we all like to be included. I have a friend who lives in the UK and some years ago was invited to a garden party at Buckingham Palace. It was a huge affair to honor British civil servants, over a thousand people were invited. But somehow the numbers didn't matter to her in the least. She was absolutely over the moon to be included at an event where there would be members of the royal family. I also know a man who some years ago was invited to visit the White House and who was thrilled at the prospect of just being able to shake the hand of the President of the United States. Oh yes, we all love to receive invitations. And let's just go ahead and admit it. The more distinguished, the more important the person sending the invitation, the more honored we are to receive it. Well, here in today's gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 11, we come to what has been described as the greatest invitation that has ever been offered. Jesus had been going through the villages and towns of Galilee, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And as he did, the crowds, sometimes in excess of 5,000 people, were pressing in on him from every side. The downcast and dejected, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, everyone craning just to catch a glimpse of the great miracle worker. Matthew says that when Jesus saw that vast multitude, he had compassion on them. He opened wide his arms and he opened his mouth and he said, Come, come to me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My friends, these are among the most gracious words in all of Scripture, and as I said, they constitute the greatest invitation that has ever been offered. Now, I realize that is a bold claim to say that this is the greatest invitation ever. But let me tell you, there's some very good reasons for that claim. In fact, let me suggest to you three in particular this morning. First, this is the greatest invitation that has ever been offered precisely because of the one who offers it. This is an invitation that comes from Jesus Christ himself. In the latter part of the 19th century, the great arbiter of New York City's high society was a woman by the name of Lena Astor. Referred to as the gatekeeper, for over 40 years, she single-handedly determined who was in and who was out of New York's inner circle. It was noted that not even the fantastically rich Vanderbilts could rival her power or her influence. The greatest honor that a person could receive in Gilded Age America, it was said, was not to receive an invitation to the White House, or to receive an invitation to meet Mark Twain, but rather to receive an invitation to Mrs. Astor's annual ball in Newport. Well, as I said, the more important, the more distinguished the person sending the invitation, the greater the honor we have of receiving it. Which is why it's very important for us to note this morning precisely where this invitation that we're looking at today comes in the context of Matthew's gospel. You'll notice that it comes immediately after Jesus has just made some extraordinary, some would even say stupendous claims for himself. Take a look at verse 27. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, as I said, those are some pretty extraordinary claims, aren't they? Jesus begins by referring to God as his Father, Understand that in the first century, no devout Jew would have ever done that. They might possibly refer to God as the Father of the nation or the Father of Israel, but nobody would ever speak of God in such intimate terms, and yet Jesus did. Not only that, but he goes on to say that the Father has given him all things. He says, all things have been handed over to me. That is to say, all dominion. All power, all glory, all majesty, all authority. And then to top it all off, Jesus unequivocally states that he alone knows the Father and that he alone is capable of making the Father known to others. Translate, I alone know God and I alone am capable of making him known to you. Now, any way you cut it, those are some pretty extraordinary claims, aren't they? I mean, who says that sort of thing? No religious figure in all of history has ever been willing to make those kinds of claims. And yet Jesus did, and he not only did it, he did it repeatedly over the course of his three-year ministry. And here's the really important part. By his life, by his ministry... By his miracles, by his humility, by his servanthood, by his death, and in particular by his resurrection, Jesus Christ fully justified those claims. In other words, Jesus proved that he really was who he claimed to be. Downing Thomas got it right, my Lord and my God. And my friends, that is the first reason why this is the greatest invitation that has ever been offered. It's because this is an invitation that comes to us, not from some earthly potentate. It doesn't come to us from head of state or some crowned head or from some society bell. This is an invitation that comes from the one who claimed to be and proved to be God in the flesh. But second, this is the greatest invitation that has ever been offered, not only because of the one who sends it, but because it is an invitation that is addressed to us. It's an invitation that is addressed to everyone. You know, it's a terrible feeling to be excluded, isn't it? To know that everyone around you has been invited to a party or to an event, but you have not. Many a tear has been shed, many a heart has been broken over an invitation that was never received. If you've ever had that experience, you know how wretched it is. But I want you to know that is not the case this morning. The invitation that Jesus offers in this morning's gospel lesson is an invitation that is meant for everyone. Listen again to how he puts it. He says, come to me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden. Or today's version puts it, come to me, all who labor. Well, tell me, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel heavy laden? Do you ever feel burdened? Do you ever feel weighed down by the concerns and the worries and the anxieties of this world? Well, if you do, I want you to understand something this morning. Jesus Christ is speaking to you. Jesus Christ is inviting you to come to him. And that's why I said, when you think about it, this is really an invitation for all of us. Because even the happiest man, woman, or child on earth still has burdens. Just think for a moment about some of the burdens we bear. There's the burden of our jobs. Many of us have very demanding vocations and perhaps difficult employers. There's the burden of our daily responsibilities, if you're a parent you understand this all too well, trying to raise children in the way that they should go in the midst of a very difficult and hostile world. There's the burden of our finances, wondering whether or not, especially in a time of inflation or recession, whether or not we're going to have enough money to live on, whether that money's going to carry us through those retirement years. There's the burden of our frail bodies, the reality that we are aging and that eventually our health will give out. If the death of the late Queen Elizabeth II taught us anything, it is that no one lives forever. There's the burden of our loneliness, a feeling that so many people have that their life is of no value, no significance, no purpose at all. And then on top of all of this, there is, of course, the terrible burden of our sin. That awful feeling of regret which we all experience as a consequence of our moral failings. The guilt, the shame for things done and left undone. Burdens? Oh, you better believe we have burdens. We have burdens aplenty, don't we? I think the image that Jesus uses in today's passage... To describe the human condition as a particularly apt one. He likens us to oxen laboring under an ill-fitting yoke. You know that in the first century, there was no such thing as motorized farm equipment. There were no John Deere tractors. If a farmer had a difficult task to perform, whether that was plowing his field or pulling a stump, he had to hitch up the oxen. The oxen did the heavy lifting, but it was work that was hard, and it was made all the harder if the animal labored under an ill-fitting yoke, one that slipped, one that chafed. Well, Jesus said, that's what it's like for you and me. We are going through this life with all of our burdens, our cares, our worries, our anxieties. We are pulling these things behind us, and we are trying to do it alone alone. And he says that's like laboring under an ill fitting yoke. The work is impossible. Now, I realize that is not an altogether complimentary picture of the human condition. How many of you like to be called an old ox? But I want you to understand something this morning if you do not admit that you are burdened, if you are not willing to acknowledge that you are weighed down by sin, if you are not willing to cry out as the prayer book does every Sunday, the burden of them is intolerable, then I fear you will never come to Christ. I fear you will never respond to this gracious invitation for the simple reason that you will never feel your need of it. No Jesus said it is the weary, it is the burdened, it is the heavy-laden that he invites to come to him. And if you happen to be one of those people today, and I want you to know this invitation is for you. So that's the second reason why this is the greatest invitation that has ever been offered. It's because it's an invitation for us. But here's the third reason why this is the greatest invitation that has ever been offered. It's because not only does it come from the Son of God, and not only is it addressed to us, but it's an invitation in which Jesus offers to do something amazing for us. What does he offer to do? He offers to lift our burden, to replace our ill fitting yoke, and to give us rest. Listen again to the Lord's words. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When Jesus looked out over that vast multitude in Galilee, what he saw was a people who were desperately trying to be good. It was a people who were desperately seeking God. It was a people who were desperately trying to find peace And contentment and joy in their lives. But a people who were finding that task impossible. And a people who as a consequence were absolutely exhausted. Spiritually, morally, emotionally spent. And when I look out over our culture today I see precisely the same thing. I see a people who are desperately trying to find God. A people who are looking for contentment, for peace, for satisfaction, for serenity, for joy, and they're looking for it in terms of their careers, thinking that if they can get to the top of the ladder, they'll find it. They're looking for it in terms of relationships, they're looking for it in terms of the amassing of wealth and material possessions. And even when they get there, they discover that they're still not happy. Oh, they have all the trappings of worldly success, and yet inside they are absolutely vacant, spent, exhausted. And it's to such people that Jesus says, come. Come to me and let me do something amazing for you. Let me lift your burden, he says. Here Jesus is talking specifically about the burden of our sins. Because my friends, whether you recognize it or not, that really is the problem. It is our sin, this desire to do our own thing, go our own way, with no thought to God that separates us from him, that puts us under his judgment, that denies us access to his peace. And we haul this great weight around and Jesus says, I want to lift that burden from you. And by the way, he's the only one that can do it. Because the New Testament presents him as the supreme burden bearer who bore our sins on the tree. How many of you have ever read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress? It's the story of a young man who hauls around a great burden. His name is Christian. And it has this very memorable section in it. Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. He ran thus till he came at a place somewhat ascending and upon that place stood a cross and a little below, in the bottom, a sepulcher. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in and I saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he stood a while to look and to wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him of his burden. He looked therefore and looked again, even till the springs that were in his head sent the waters down his cheeks. My friends, that is what Jesus Christ wants to do for us. He wants to lift our burden. The burden of our guilt, the burden of our shame, and he wants to do that by the power of his cross. But you know, as wonderful as that thought is, it's actually just the beginning of what Jesus Christ wants to do for us. For having removed our burden, he now wants to give us something. He wants to give us his yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke, as you all know, is a horizontal bar that is placed on the backs of oxen or other draft animals so that they can pull a plow. And Jesus has said that the problem for us is that we have been laboring under that ill-fitting yoke, trying to do it on our own. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to give us his yoke, his yoke which is easy, his yoke which fits well, his yoke which makes the task of living all the more easy. In the Old Testament the yoke was always the symbol for submission. It meant that you were under someone's authority. The Jews of Jesus' day would have understood immediately what he was talking about. Because they spoke of the yoke of the law or the yoke of Torah. It meant that they lived in submission to the law, they lived under the authority of the law. And when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, that's what he's inviting us to do, to come in submission under him, to live under his authority, to become his disciple. Now, not in any kind of oppressive way, not as a petty tyrant in your life. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. He said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. No, he wants us to come in submission under him that we might learn from him. Learn what? Learn the contented life. You know, that was the thing that astonished everyone who met Jesus. It astonished his disciples. It astounded his enemies. That no matter what, Jesus was always contented. Everything could be in turmoil around him and the Lord was at complete peace. You remember that occasion when the disciples and Jesus were out on the Sea of Galilee and that storm erupted and they were fearful that the boat was going to be swamped, that they were all going to drown. They're bailing furiously. And where's Jesus? Jesus asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat. Jesus was never anxious, Jesus was never fretful, and Jesus was always joyful. That's why the crowds flocked to him by the thousands. That's why the scripture says they received his teaching gladly. Well, if you think about it, that's, The very things, those are the very things that you and I chase after every day of our lives. We're looking for peace. We're looking for contentment. We're looking for joy. And yet these are the things that continue to elude us. And Jesus says, I want to teach you those things. I want to teach you the secret to being content in all circumstances. I want your life to be flooded with a joy that surpasses human understanding. But he says, in order for that to happen, you've got to submit to me. You've got to take my yoke upon you. You must learn from me. And his promise is that if we will, our souls will find the very thing we long for the most. Rest. Rest from our life. So there it is, the greatest invitation that has ever been offered. It's an invitation that comes from the greatest person. It's an invitation that is addressed to us, the weary and heavy laden. And it's an invitation in which Jesus Christ promises to do something amazing for you. Lift your burden, replace your ill-fitting yoke, and give you rest. But as with all invitations, some sort of reply is expected. Whenever you receive an invitation in the mail, like the one that I received, there are always four cryptic letters at the bottom, aren't there? R-S-V-P. And most of us know enough French to understand that that is a request for a reply in due course. Respondez, s'il vous plaît. Please respond. Well, I wonder if you ever have. I wonder today if you have ever come to Jesus Christ. I'm not asking if you've come to church. That's not the invitation. Jesus doesn't say, come to church. He says, come to me. I've been a minister for nearly 30 years, and I can tell you with authority there are many people who come to church who've never come to Christ. I'm not asking, have you come to a Bible study? It may very well be the case that you meet Jesus Christ at a Bible study, but there's no guarantee. Many people come to that sort of thing out of an idle sense of curiosity. It's not the same thing as coming to Christ. I'm not asking if you've come to Holy Communion. Many people, week after week, come forward to the rail and eat the bread and drink the wine with no thought whatsoever as to what this is really all about. No, I'm asking the question, have you come to Him? Have you come to Christ? How do you do that? John Stott says, it's as easy as A, B, C. One, you have to admit that you are heavy laden. That you are burdened by sin and guilt and shame. B, you have to believe that he alone is capable of lifting your burden. Because he is the supreme burden bearer. And C, you have to consider what it means... To take his yoke upon you, to submit to his authority, and to become his disciple. As I thought about this great invitation, I was reminded of a work of art. As many of you know, I spent some time in London in August with our choir while they were in residence at St. Paul's Cathedral. And by the way, this is the first time I've had the opportunity to officially say to the choir, you did an amazing job. One of the great treasures of that place, St. Paul's Cathedral, is a magnificent painting by Holman Hunt entitled The Light of the World. Unfortunately, it was not on display when we were there, It had been sent out for conservation. But if you take your bulletin in hand, you'll see a copy of it on the front cover. And I wonder if you would just follow along as I walk you through this painting. It shows Jesus Christ standing at a door. It's the door of the heart. Imagine that it's your heart today. Jesus is dressed in royal attire. He's got a bejeweled cloak around his shoulders because he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He carries a lantern in his left hand, symbolic of the fact that he is the light of the world and whoever follows him shall never walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He has a royal diadem upon his head because he is the prince of peace. But intertwined with that royal diadem, you will see, if you look closely, a crown of thorns because he is the one who is acquainted with sorrow. But you'll also notice that that crown of thorns has started to bloom. It has started to bud, a reminder of the fact that he who died is alive forevermore. He knocks with his right hand. And you'll notice that it still bears the nail prints. A reminder that by his stripes we are healed. He is the great burden bearer. But perhaps the most shocking thing about this magnificent painting is the door. You'll notice that this door to the heart is enshrouded with Thorns and thistles, weeds and brambles. Because this door has never been opened. And you'll also notice that this door has no handle. And that is because the handle, my friends, is on the inside. He knocks. He issues you this invitation... But you must open the door. You must reply. You must accept this gracious invitation. You must come to him. Will you do it? If you've never done it, will you come to Jesus Christ today? Will you have your burden lifted? Will you take his yoke upon you? Will you find rest for your souls? There is no substitute. You must come to him. If you need help doing that today, every one of our clergymen would be thrilled. There's nothing that we are doing that is more important than this. Take us by the arm. Tap us on the shoulder. Whatever it is, we will step aside. It would be our greatest privilege to help you today accept the greatest invitation that has ever been offered. Let us pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of your Son. For these gracious words come unto me, all ye that travel and are heavy laden. Marvelous words, wondrous words, but words which require a reply. Grant us the grace, Lord, if we've never done so, to do so now. And if we have done so but wandered afield, to come back with all of our burdens, to lay them at the foot of his cross, that we might find rest for our souls today. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.